the Old World Pickling Crocs, oh, and Old World Pickling Crocs, Organic Grace is on the main street in Garberville and on the web, organicgrace.com. All right, stay tuned. Welcome to this month's and this uh, New Year's Ask Your Herb Doctor. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, my name's Andrew Murray. Uh, for those of you who perhaps have never listened to the shows which run every third Friday of the month from 7 till 8 p.m., I'm a licensed uh, naturopathic doctor who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. Uh, we run a clinic in Garberville uh, where I consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and recommend herbal medicine and dietary advice. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated, to this month's subject of digestion and emotion. Some of it is carrying on from last month's uh, topic of you are what you eat. I had quite a few uh, people writing afterwards on that subject. It was quite interesting to get some feedback from people who'd uh, listened, so thank you for that. Uh, the number here, if you live in the area, is 9233911, or like so many people these days, if you live outside the area, there's a toll-free number, which is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. So that's 1-800-568-3723. So we'll be taking calls uh, live from 7.30 onwards. Uh, but until then, uh, let's just introduce uh, Dr. P. Dr. P, you with us? Yes. Hi, thanks so much for joining us again. Um, as always, want to give people the benefit of understanding your professional and academic background for those who maybe have never heard of you uh, or who've just tuned in. So if you'd like to just tell them uh, your professional and academic background. Um, after uh, working several years in uh, humanities uh, areas, I decided to... Uh, study biology uh, because of uh, wanting to uh, get a concrete uh, grasp of how the brain works in making language, images, and so on. Uh, so I intended to uh, uh, work on a Ph.D. at University of Oregon starting in 1968 uh, in uh, brain biology. <laughs> and uh, I quickly found that that was the most dogmatic area in biology, genetics, and uh, nerve biology, and uh, so immediately I uh, looked around for uh, less dogmatic areas, and it turned out that uh, the extreme other end of the organism, the reproductive system, uh, happened to be the, the most scientific <laughs> empirical. Uh, so I, I did my dissertation on uh, uh, oxidative changes in the female reproductive system with aging, and uh, that involves a lot of nutrition-related topics that were of interest to me. Yeah. 
Uh, one, just I think just to let people know, at one time uh, you were actively uh, consulting with people, weren't you, for quite a few years? Um, uh, yeah, in, in the 70s uh, I just happened to uh, meet some women who were uh, having hormonal problems. I, I, in graduate school I had uh, talked to uh, some girls who uh, immediately when they came to the university and uh, got a cheap basement apartment, uh, started having terrible PMS. And uh, that 1967-68, I got interested in the, the role of light in brain and hormone functions and uh, how I called it winter sickness uh-huh. uh, from a light deficiency. Hmm. Uh, and uh, then uh, when I started running into uh, women with uh, a slightly older group, uh, 40, 45, and 50, uh, having really serious problems like uh, multiple uh, sclerosis and uh, several other uh, nerve-related conditions, I, I uh, recognized the, the work I had been doing with hamsters and hormones uh-huh. as being directly applicable to them. So I started doing nutritional consulting and uh, finally uh, started suggesting that they use uh, uh, progesterone and thyroid supplements uh, because the, in some cases the, the diet just wasn't enough to take care of acute problems. Yeah. Okay, and also, just so people that are listening uh, can be aware of this also, you produce uh, a monthly, or, or is it bi-monthly now? Uh, bi- news- bi-monthly. Yeah, bi- a bi-monthly newsletter. So anyway, uh, we'll, we'll be giving out uh, Dr. Pete's uh, information at the end of the show for people who'd like to uh, either contact him or find out more about his uh, website and all the articles that he has that are freely available and referenced there. Well, Dr. Pete, I wanted to carry on um, partly from last month's topic on uh, you are what you eat and a little bit more of a uh, focused uh, look at diet digestion and emotion um, because I know that some of the things that you brought out uh, in your most recent newsletter as well as the prior ones kind of piqued piqued my interest in some other directions and I also have questions from people uh, that have been garnered since the last month that I want to see if we can get time to uh, put to you but um Going back to last week, uh, we mentioned this gut peptide called cholecystokinin. It uh, was previously shown to have a crucial role in mediating the effects of intragastric fatty acid solutions on brain activity. Uh, and they were saying that the uh, receptors for CCK, this uh, cholecystokinin, are known not only for their role in digestion, but also for roles in memory function and learning and in the modulation of panic and anxiety. So there's this link um, between the gut and the emotion, so it's not gut is not just for digestion and picking up food and uh, um, sending it off to the various uh, departments that store it, like the fat cells, etc. But it also triggers uh, emotive uh, events in people. What do you interpret from my suggestion that C- CK's role in the stimulation and secretion of bile and the digestion and the absorption of nu- nutrients, especially fats, supports the link between this mental function and, and digestion? I think it's good to uh, consider at least one other uh, uh, digestive peptide, the uh, gastric inhibitory polypeptide, GIP. Okay. It's uh, 
my my general picture of the organism, for example, uh, analogous to the uh, uh, sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system, right. the, the day and the night sides of the nervous system. Right. Uh, everywhere you look, you can see uh, this sort of a polar opposition in two kinds of function. One is mobilizing. The other is demobilizing and relaxing. Okay, that's the parasympathetics is the relaxing and the mobilizing yeah, is yeah. the sympathetic. Yeah. And uh, the, the, um, when, when the organism is young and healthy, uh, that opposition works very nicely for night and day mm-hmm. uh, action and rest uh, cycling. Uh, and in the digestive system, uh, when you eat fats and proteins... Uh, you um, act. You secrete the uh, cholecystokinin. When you eat sugar, you secrete the GIP, which is also called the insulinotropic huh. uh, okay. hormone, uh, because it, it calms down, stops your acid digestion, because uh, you're, you don't need acid to handle sugar, sure. but it activates the insulin so that you handle the sugar. Mm-hmm. And... When you look at the effect in the brain, uh, CCK activates uh, the corticotropic release hormone, which turns on anxiety and stress, and the pituitary uh, ACTH, which turns on the adrenals to handle stress. Okay. And the um, uh, the um, gastro the GI uh, uh, gastrointestinal. Uh, gastric inhibitory peptide uh, responding to glucose has pretty much the opposite effects. Um, And in in the um, hippocampus, for example, which is a a part of the brain that's expanded by opportunity and learning and shrunken by stress, (laughs) uh, the the, uh, uh, insulinotropic hormone responding to sugar, also has receptors in the hippocampus that stimulates the birth of new cells. So learning and um, stimulating experience and eating sugar <laughs> has the same... Go hand in hand, huh? Yeah, the same effect <laughs> in your brain. Eating fat and protein, mm-hmm. surprisingly, wow. turn on anxiety and stress. Uh, even protein, huh? Um, well, that, yeah... Uh, that tends to uh, uh, lower your blood sugar because it right. also stimulates insulin. Got it. And uh, lowering the blood sugar turns on stress. Okay. Um, and in the uh, farther down the intestine, um, the um, if you could uh, be born without bacteria, uh, they've uh, created uh, situations uh, with. Um, Caesarean birth of, of rats and dogs and pigs and such, mm-hmm. and then keeping them in a, a germ-free environment, uh, they find that uh, the everything develops perfectly. In fact, the, the animals live longer and uh, are very resistant to obesity and diabetes and degenerative diseases. Okay. Um, um, 
there is a... Um, they have a very high metabolic rate, too, don't they? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're very much like uh, <laughs> the uh, <Furnaces>. calorie-restricted <laughs> animals okay. and uh, fat-free diets where they don't have the so-called essential fatty acids. Mm-hmm. Those animals have an extremely high metabolic rate, too. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the um, calorie restriction and being free of germs both stimulate your your ability to oxidize uh, food, uh, produce energy, uh, and uh, prevent obesity, and be generally healthy and long-lived. So something is happening in the intestine uh, that that the bacteria are responsible for. And uh, the, the main thing that it turns out that the bacteria are doing is uh, usually uh, converting starch. Starch is, is the main uh, bacteria-promoting food. Um, they, the bacteria living uh, on, on these foods that we don't digest produce endotoxin, and the endotoxin, everywhere it uh, reaches uh, a human cell, uh, stimulates the production of nitric oxide, and nitric oxide is uh, it's um, on the uh, demobilizing side of, of the uh, balance. It uh, turns off metabolism, slows down mm-hmm. oxidation. Okay. Uh, so it's it's the main reason that having too many bacteria in the intestine uh, creates obesity and and. Uh, lethargy and, and short life. Is it all forms of starch that will promote the uh, endotoxin production? or No, if no. they're uh, very well cooked right. and easy to digest and um, aren't complexed with fibrous material, um, the, uh, the difference would be uh, a corn tortilla that had been processed in alkali to open up the starch granules, okay. making them easy to digest, versus uh, the bean carbohydrates, uh, the, uh, the type of uh, polysaccharide that uh, human enzymes can't work on okay. uh, are ideal uh, for feeding hence, bacteria. Hence all the gas. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, it's not good for you folks. <laughs> when they've experimented with uh, rats on this type of uh, uh, soluble, indigestible fiber, mm-hmm. uh, the ones that get the, the fiber that supports the bacterial growth uh, become anxious and aggressive. <laughs> They're fearful, and so they, they uh, fight too easily. Huh. All right, so there's, there, 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 there's a definite connection there. Let me just uh, put your uh, information out for a moment here, Dr. Pete. So welcome to this month's Ask Your Ob Doctor. Uh, you're listening to Ask Your Ob Doctor on KMD Garberville, 91.1 FM, and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated to this month's subject of digestion and emotion. We have Dr. Raymond Pete with us in the studio. Uh, we'll be taking calls from 7.30 to 8 o'clock. So, Dr. Pete, okay, you've looked, looked at and uh, interpreted the uh, link then between sort of uh, decreased mental performance and poor digestion with the endotoxin formation, especially from starch. Um, I'm glad you brought up nitric oxide because, again, I, when I was looking at some articles this afternoon, I think... I think you need to bring this out as a fairly important uh, 
fairly important point because I think just like sugar and just like polyunsaturates, uh, both of which, uh, well, sugar was uh, demonized and polyunsaturated fats were promoted, so the liquid oils, the polyunsaturates, are now definitely swinging the other way. Uh, even medical opinion is uh, of the uh, mindset now that maybe saturated fats are actually much better for the cells and much more stable uh, and more health-promoting than the polyunsaturates, but it's taken a long time. Um, and maybe I think sugar, perhaps in time, will come around again. But it seems at the moment that nitric oxide is a pretty prevalent supplement, or rather the L-arginine that um, nitric oxide is manufactured from is, be- is becoming a fairly uh, popular supplement, especially in the bodybuilding world. And um, I wanted to ask you, that, g- given that these things are so freely available, and publications, numerous publications, even sci- so-called scientific journals, are coming out with uh, <laughs> studies that support nitric oxide's importance and, and saying that it's extremely important for uh, endothelial uh, health, so uh, the inner lining of the arteries arterioles etc uh, is the endothelia and nitric oxide is produced within that to prevent things like stroke uh, angina uh, and a whole other host of cardiac events that would be considered uh, causative without nitric oxide in terms of the kind of uh, starvation uh, as it were because of the vaso uh, constriction that would happen because nitric oxide is a vasodilator but yet there's so much evidence contrary to that and that's what I'd like you to bring out why is nitric oxide so dangerous because I know it's been implicated in uh, stroke in, in people that use Viagra for example um, uh, yeah I just recently heard about a, a doctor who treats cancer patients with intravenous arginine oh, wow. uh, and uh, just before I heard about him, I had been reading uh, way back to the 1940s, uh, people discovered that arginine <laughs> stimulates cancer growth <laughs> and that okay. starvation or reduction of arginine uh, stops cancer growth. Uh-huh. And uh, through the 50s and 60s, continuing, it's being picked up again just recently, uh, methods to stop the uh, conversion of arginine to uh, nitric oxide or to reduce the availability of arginine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's being investigated again as a way to cure cancer. So right. uh, uh, there are these two very opposite uh, things going on. One, nitric oxide uh, is being proposed to cure cancer or uh, suppressing nitric oxide uh, it's demonstrated to stop the growth of cancer. And uh, the uh, the first things that I was uh, hearing about nitric oxide, I happened to be uh, interested in endogenous uh, carbon monoxide mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, early and mid-80s. And uh, it, it uh, can promote cancer by uh, blocking the respiratory enzymes. And then... In the mid and late 80s, uh, people started realizing that uh, something was producing nitric oxide in the body. And uh, I think it was 88 or 89 when the enzyme was uh, demonstrated. We actually have the enzyme that makes this smog-like free radical uh, in our tissues. And because it was already known as a major toxin in smog, uh, 
immediately people were uh, investigating what it's really doing in the body. Mm-hmm. And uh, from about 1990 up until the middle 90s, uh, there are many publications showing that uh, very clearly nitric oxide produced in the pancreas kills insulin-producing beta cells. Uh-huh. Uh, that was just massively documented up until about 96. Then uh, the uh, Viagra people, uh, they got a patent and uh, started promoting the idea that uh, somehow nitric oxide is uh, associated with virility. And suddenly the research uh, by the late 90s uh, was turning uh, just 180 degrees and saying, <laughs> Everything that nitric oxide does must be wonderful because it is related to <laughs> male virility. Now, am I right in thinking also that nitric oxide in smog is a causative agent for asthma? Um, yeah, and uh, there are people recommending <laughs> arginine and breathing nitric oxide to oh treat goodness. asthma, oh but goodness. others demonstrating that it, uh, people with asthma are producing it themselves, so you can measure it in their breath. <laughs> uh, the worse their asthma is, uh, the more, the more uh, nitric oxide comes out in their breath. And it's the same with uh, hepatitis, uh, cancer, uh, any major systemic disease. You can find uh, increased amounts of nitric oxide-related chemicals in the blood. Interesting. I'm glad you mentioned that because I've got a question question, uh, from a couple of other people that I want to ask you in a bit about that subject. But let me just go back because nitric oxide is... Okay, here's here's the deal. Nitric oxide is produced in the body and supposedly has beneficial functions. So what do you think about the beneficial function of nitric oxide in the body and how is that uh, mediated to a point where it's not dangerous uh, as, it, as it is if you're looking at being exposed to it or taking arginine to produce it in your body more than your body does? What's its, what's its real benefit? Um, it's, um, it uh, helps cells to de-differentiate by... Uh, blocking their energy production. If you think of the mitochondrial high-energy oxidative system as being what uh, what creates a, a complex organism uh, that uses energy so efficiently it can have many different types of tissue. Uh, if you want to de-differentiate, uh, produce a stem cell, hmm. you knock out the energy production, and it goes back and becomes amoeba-like or fungus-like. So this is like a, a cell, stem cell recruitment? Uh, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it, uh, when a an tissue is injured, it secretes a great burst of nitric oxide, and that calls up stem cells from the environment, uh-huh. but it also creates them. It de-differentiates Existing uh, ones. adjoining huh. tissues uh, so that they can... Uh, form whatever new tissue is needed. So de-differentiation is uh, part of forming the organism in the first place uh, as the embryo develops. Nitric oxide has a constructive role. And then for tissue, uh, wound healing, it's essential. But that very same burst that uh, calls up repair cells and de-differentiates cells 
to make repair cells. If if that doesn't have the ability to be turned off, mm. it keeps dedifferentiating and stimulating tissue renewal so that you get an unhealing wound. Uh, the the uh, least bad uh, example of that would be a keloid, okay. a scar tissue that just keeps growing and getting bigger without uh, huh. forming the right kind of, of tissue. But in a worse case, then it, it becomes a tumor and a cancer. Okay, so how do you um, do, do? Do you do you see the uh, control? Um, how do you see the control of nitric oxide so that it's uh, a proportion response if if and when you need it through injury and blocking it uh, dietarily or supplementally so that you're not exposed to this uh, pretty dangerous compound at all until until such a time as your body might need it for whatever reason. Everything that we have that is involved in producing oxidative energy helps to turn it off. So vitamin D1, <laughs> okay. uh, niacinamide, uh, the anti-inflammatory things like uh, progesterone and uh, pregnenolone, uh, thyroid hormone, all of the differentiating, mobilizing, uh, energy uh, intensifying uh, substances uh, turn it off. And uh, everything that uh, interferes with those uh, turns it on and keeps it going. Okay, go on. Is, so it, it's the demobilizing, uh, for example, uh, going into hibernation, an animal uh, produces uh, these demobilizing signals with nitric oxide. And uh, anything that makes the organism tend to give up and stop struggling, uh, demobilizing uh, because of stress or isolation, uh-huh. inescapable stress, right. powerfully turns on nitric oxide. And it, so in, in the brain function, when your brain is being turned off, it experiences depression, wants to retreat. Okay. And uh, the, um, things like anxiety and, and aggression uh, you aggress if someone doesn't let you retreat. <laughs> Hi, I wanted to ask you about the uh, the mind mind body connection because I know that um, when I've spoken to you previously, you, you've kind of uh, advocating um, what I think a lot of kind of new age or alternative thinking people would uh, would have held as a you know a tenant of their. Uh, belief in sort of a, a higher power, if you like, through uh, focused attention and positive thinking, your body, your physical body, uh, can definitely be improved. And I, I know I've had this conversation with you previously about, well, what would come first? You know, w- would you uh, would you use supplements that will promote, uh, you know, everything that we've been talking about now, so progesterone, thyroid, uh, the B vitamins, etc., uh, to turn this. Uh, negative uh, cascade off or would you have a uh, positive mental outlook or do you see the two being as uh, important together and do you have any kind of uh, uh, protocol that you would be looking at would be a a good rationale for achieving both of those things Um, when you look at the um, uh, example of the uh, psychologists who uh, create depression by torturing animals, <laughs> okay. uh, convincing them that they can't escape, 
once they form the idea that they can't escape, they don't try to escape anymore. Right. So it's an intellectual switch that happens uh, from from the bad experience. And if you have um, made an animal helpless uh, by those experiences, just one experience of escape will cure it. And it'll have the it'll have the knowledge. Uh, yeah, it's resistant because of that knowledge. Uh-huh. And um, the, um, the culture is telling people too often that they, they can't escape. Right. Yep. They have to do what they put have up. to do. Yep. Put up and shut up. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so something as simple as taking a vacation or getting a new job yeah. Uh, can make a tremendous difference. A person can pop right out of yeah. uh, a prolonged depression uh, yeah. if they get a, a new kind of work, for example. Let me let me just uh, hold your hold your train of thought there, Doctor Peter. We've got a, the first caller of the evening, so let's let's take this caller and see where where they're going. Caller, you're on the air, and where are you from? I'm from uh, Kansas City. Kansas City. Hi. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, my question. Um, for Dr. Pete, is uh, do you think using low-dose arimidex as an aromatase inhibitor would be appropriate for a female who is correcting her metabolic rate by a thyroid diet but has a fair amount of fat to lose still? Um, would that be safe to use while she loses the fat safely? Um, those chemicals all have some side effects, so there are much better ways to uh, turn off estrogen production. Uh, just the uh, the endotoxin from bacteria is a powerful promoter of aromatase and estrogen production. And so uh, taking an antibiotic or eating a kind of fiber that doesn't uh, support bacterial growth or uh, avoiding starches and eating uh, saturated fats, which have a germicidal effect, uh, uh, saturated fatty acids are, are very much like uh, antiseptics as far as uh, the intestinal bacteria go. So uh, just by making those dietary changes, you can make a, a tremendous uh, impact on your uh, balance between estrogen and uh, uh, cortisol versus the uh, protective progesterone and, and uh, uh, androgens and so on. Okay, that sounds good. Um, I had one more question. Um, could you just explain briefly the mechanisms of histamine and uh, the uh, good ways to correct that? Histamine and ways to what? Um, just just ways to correct oh, someone uh, who has um, just histamine responses periodically. Uh, uh, since I was mentioning the saturated fats, uh, some of the uh, shorter chain uh, saturated fats in coconut oil have an antihistamine effect. Uh, coffee is a very effective uh, turn uh, signal to turn off uh, histamine production. Anything that energizes and restores cell function uh, tends to uh, prevent the production of histamine. How about sugar? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the um, <coughs> a, a person wrote a book about histamine about 40 years ago, and he demonstrated that histamine is produced in every kind of cell in the organism when it's sufficiently stressed. And uh, that was before nitric oxide was known, but uh, histamine turns on nitric oxide. So 
those are the two uh, probably universal uh, stress uh, injury uh, signals. Okay, great. We do have another caller that's just come in, so let's take this next caller. Hi, caller. You're on the air. Where are you from? Yes, uh, Andrew, this is David in Missouri. Oh, hey, David. Um, you know, on the last show, we were talking about uh, the bacteria in the intestine, and you had mentioned that uh, a lot of times tetracycline will be used and it will kill I don't remember the exact wording, but it was something to the extent that the harmful bacteria are killed and the beneficial survive. Do we know that for sure? Or, like, if you're using something like tetracycline, does it pretty much, you know, depending on the dose, does it kill most of the bacteria? And how does it selectively uh, spare the what we would call beneficial? And then I guess uh, along the same lines there, I've always heard that there is kind of a symbiotic relationship with certain uh, intestinal bacteria that help to um, absorb certain nutrients. Okay. And so I'm assuming that would be considered a beneficial bacteria if that is true. Um, I, I think the um, interactions of the intestinal bacteria are too complicated to uh, divide them neatly into beneficial and harmful. In the germ-free animals, uh, they've done experiments with uh, introducing uh, a single species of lactobacillus, and even uh, the supposedly beneficial bacteria uh, will make the germ-free animals susceptible to uh, uh, injury that it wasn't susceptible to before. So it's the context and interaction of the different bacteria. And generally, the healthier a person is, the uh, more sterile their small intestine is. Okay, interesting. So, you know, what do you think of the idea that certain nutrients are absorbed through the actions of so-called beneficial bacteria? Is Is that kind of a fallacy or...? Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, there's a little effect there, but I don't think it, it makes a big uh, nutritional difference. The uh, totally germ-free animals uh, have the extremely efficient digestive systems. And I've heard you say that. I just I, I was just curious because you still hear this being talked about all the time, like there's these beneficial bacteria. And of course, I know people are selling beneficial bacteria, so that's part of the part of the reason that's being done. I'm sure. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you is the term "free fatty acids." Is that always referring to polyunsaturated fat, or is there instances where free fatty acids are actually saturated fat? Uh, yeah, they can be either way. Uh, coconut soap uh, is is the uh, salt of the uh, saturated free fatty acids and uh, so if you if you actually uh, could eat a, a, a bite of uh, free fatty acids it would taste like acidic soap 
interesting. We do have a couple of callers also, so let's uh, let's, let's wrap this one. Let's wrap okay. this one up. Very good. Thank okay. you. Yeah, thanks for your call. So let's get this next caller on the air. We've got two more, so let's uh, take this next one away from. Hi, I'm Kim from Garberville. Oh, hey, welcome to the show. Thank you. So I just had a question. I was wondering what the effect of um, infrared, like sauna, would have on the cells, mitochondria. Um, it produces nitric oxide, doesn't it? Dr. Pete, what do you think of infrared in terms of uh, possible uh, nitric oxide production from the mitochondria? Uh, water absorbs infrared very powerfully, and, and so uh, real infrared feels warm and it helps to keep your body temperature up and keeping your body temperature up is very good uh, essential for the mitochondria and uh, the stress of cold is enough to turn on uh, nitric oxide uh, and that can uh, start down the pathway of hibernation and uh, turning off functions so uh, infrared as it keeps your body temperature up helps your mitochondria. Uh, the uh, far red visible light, uh, dark red, anywhere from orange to dark red, uh, these aren't, aren't very well absorbed by water, and so they go right through your tissue. Uh, you can see a red light shining through your whole body if you're in the dark. Uh, you can see it through your hand. Uh, yeah. Put a, a light behind your hand. Uh, that's because it, it penetrates and is only absorbed by uh, blue copper is the main thing that absorbs it. Uh, enzymes that contain uh, copper in a, in a blue form uh, that does absorb red. And those happen to be the respiratory enzymes. And uh, so the, the far red uh, activates uh, the respiratory enzymes, and probably a major reason for that is that it bounces the nitric oxide molecule, uh, loosens it, and frees it from the respiratory enzymes where it has been blocking it. Interesting. So that's beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, we've got two more callers. Still another one called in while the first one's on hold. So let's take this next caller. You're on the air. And where are you from? Hi, I'm calling from Sacramento. Okay, yeah, welcome to the show. Um, what's your question? Um, this is related to what Dr. Pete said about um, treating corn with alkali, um, or lime rather, mm -hmm. um, to make it more digestible. And I was wondering, do uh, sprouted grain tortillas, are they also considered good for digestion? Dr. Pete, scr sprouted grain. Uh, what, uh, oh, oh, yeah, uh, the... Uh, Starch is largely uh, consumed and used. Uh, the storage proteins in the seed happen to have lots of uh, uh, ammonia or amino groups, uh, uh, which are used to make uh, uh, actual functioning proteins with the energy from the starch. And so when you sprout a grain, you get rid of the toxic uh, proteins that could release uh, too much arginine and produce uh, nitric oxide and histamine, and you get rid of most of the, the uh, starches. So sprouts are basically uh, good 
nutrition, like uh, leaves. Oh, great. So it, it, uh, it doesn't matter whether it's sprouted wheat or barley or whatever. In general, it's a good thing. Dr. Pete, did you hear that in last uh, bit? No. Um, the gentleman asked, uh, does it, it didn't matter whether it was wheat or barley, that generally sprouted uh, things were a good thing. Um, did you hear what I said, or is there a, a problem with the line at the moment? Uh, yeah, the, the line is getting a little garbled. Okay, the, the gentleman wanted to know if all sprouted uh, things were beneficial because of how you know, what they went through. Um, yeah, the, the, all, all seeds, as far as I know, uh, have some toxic effects. Uh, many of them are built in by the, the plant to uh, protect their offspring. And once the sprouting has begun, uh, the seed detoxifies uh, those intrinsic uh, chemicals. And, and so it, it uh, especially if it's very well cooked, then it becomes nutritious. Okay. So I, I think to answer your question then, Caller, um, the, uh, the activity of sprouting neutralizes the defensive compounds that are in the seeds originally, so I think the answer would be yes. Uh, most sprouted uh, items would be beneficial and nutritional for you. Oh, great. Thank you. One, one final question, if I may. Okay, quickly. Um, uh, progesterone uh, for men, is it beneficial or harmful? Dr. Pete, did you hear that? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. The um, uh, men uh, who are in, in good health uh, have a, a fair amount of progesterone. Uh, it's rarely measured in men, but uh, it prevents abnormal excess clotting, and uh, it's a, a precursor for uh, other hormones. But uh, if you have a, a good amount of progesterone, it protects you against fluctuations in the adrenal steroids, uh, aldosterone and uh, uh, cortisol, so that uh, progesterone is sort of an all-purpose defensive hormone. And it's uh, very highly concentrated in the brain, uh, men, men as well as women. Uh, so it's, it's definitely not just a female hormone. Uh, but if you ha have too much of it, if you take a, a supplement, it opposes testosterone. Uh, and so uh, a man doesn't want to uh, uh, take it regularly uh, and um, stop his whiskers uh, growing, for example. Uh, but for an emergency, uh, a big supplement uh, can be helpful for, uh, uh, for example, epilepsy, or um, arthritis, uh, it, it's very helpful for men as well as women. How, and just so I can interrupt you for a second, Dr. Pete, how quickly uh, would you metabolize uh, a dose of progesterone if you did take it and it was a large dose for something that was, uh, uh, you know... Uh, so, go ahead. I know a doctor who uh, insisted that taking progesterone orally uh, wouldn't show up in the blood, so <laughs> he... he took, I think, a fourth of a teaspoon and then drew his blood every half hour for 12 hours, I think. And uh, he showed that it peaked in uh, around the first hour and then uh, gradually uh, decreased over the next day.
Okay. All right, so within 24 hours or so. Okay, we have another caller. I'm oh, still waiting here, so let's take this the next caller. Caller, you're on the air? Uh, I am. And, and where are you from? In Garberville, thank you. Oh, you're in Garberville, too. Okay, go ahead. What's your question? Uh, well, uh, thank you again for a wonderful show, a lot of wonderful information. Uh, there was one thing that uh, an earlier caller mentioned about uh, beneficial bacteria. Um, is it... Uh, the doctor's opinion then, or your opinion as well, that uh, yogurt for its uh, supposed beneficials is not so beneficial? Um, if it has had the um, uh, some of the uh, lactic acid drained off, or if it has just uh, coagulated without becoming very sour, uh, mm. then then it's fine. But the is lactic- there a difference then uh, between a Greek yogurt and a goat uh, milk yogurt, or is uh, uh, yeah? I think the Greek, which isn't sour, is safe. But the very okay. acidic ones uh, and uh, related products, I, I, I discovered it by uh, drinking a, a, a cup of uh, kefir. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. Few, every day I would have a cup of that for lunch. I would get a migraine uh, for several hours afterwards, and so I uh, oh. started reading about uh, what's happening. And uh, uh, for one thing, the uh, type of lactic acid produced by bacteria is racemic, and the kind we make is mostly uh, the uh, uh, one one uh, confirmation that works differently. Mm-hmm. And the racemic type made by bacteria is more uh, able to produce inflammation and fibrosis if you're uh, chronically overloaded with it. Uh, and uh, uh, Really, that, that actually dovetails nicely into my main question, I think. Um, I, I was recently more or less diagnosed by a Western-style doctor with a particular type of skin condition that I've been suffering uh, for 20 years or so, uh, uh, hydrogen uh, sorry, a uh, hydrogenitis superativa, uh, supposedly uh, something that deals with the adipine glands, which is a type of sweat gland that causes cysts. Um, so does that, uh, do you have any info on that? And when you're talking about, uh, you know, yogurt and, and the inflammation caused by certain uh, bacterias, I've been actually trying to support my system in general with, uh, well, kefir you mentioned. I enjoy it. Uh, maybe that's uh, a bad idea. Uh, uh, people have experimented with uh, even killing the lactobacillus, and it, in itself, even when it's dead, it has a very definite anti-inflammatory effect in the intestine. Anti-inflammatory. So it would be a good thing then for for a, a, a condition that causes inflammation and cysting, or uh, uh, yeah, uh, the um, that seems to be the uh, implication that uh, it isn't the uh, the lactic acid or the metabolism of the lactic acid bacteria that is anti-inflammatory, but uh, just something about the uh, the chemistry of the organism even if it's dead uh, and since the inflammation in the intestine uh, 
is uh, quickly reflected in the physiology of the skin. Uh, soothing your intestine will uh, take care of a lot of uh, skin conditions. Uh, acne. Okay. So you're saying uh, the the bacteria itself is beneficial, but not the lactic acid that is uh, common with many sour yogurts. Yeah, yeah. So uh, okay, yogurt minus the lactic acid is is better. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. All right, thank you for your call. Okay, uh, if anybody else is listening and uh, wants to get a question or two in before the end of the show at 8 o'clock, uh, the number, if you're in the area, is 923-3911, or there's a toll-free number, which is 1-800-568-3723. That's 1-800-KMUD-RAD. Okay, so, uh, Dr. Pete, I think just uh, if perhaps you've got the time, I'll get some uh, these questions that I've had uh, put to you anyway. Um I'm glad uh, I'm glad that we've had some of these questions surrounding uh, surrounding what you've been talking about and not something completely different. That's uh, that's always always very useful to have people uh, newly newly challenged, if you like. So I wanted to ask you that um, from a, uh, a a perspective of kind of Hippocratic medicine, they always mentioned that the uh, the liver was the seat of anger. Um, do you have any comment on how this might come about? And it, it might be related to digestion and endotoxin and inflammation. Um, do you, what do you think about that? Does that make any you know, any sense, or do you think it's just um, uh, the the liver, to the extent that it's injured, uh, will uh, ruin the whole organism. It, it's the uh, the chemist uh, for the, the whole organism, right. and uh, uh, the uh, if you're starving and not getting enough protein especially or not enough B vitamins, your liver loses the ability to detoxify and, and you get uh, uh, gross hormone imbalances. And uh, that can um, lead to a, a progressive inflammation, fibrosis, and uh, as these processes uh, get uh, more serious, uh, the liver becomes a, a larger source of nitric oxide, and uh, at the point that it's becoming uh, inflamed and cirrhotic, uh, then it starts uh, secreting nitric oxide uh, to the whole system, and uh, the lungs, uh, w with an acute injury to the liver, the lungs will become acutely inflamed. When they transplant a liver, uh, they've uh, measured the uh, sick person's nitric oxide uh, very high. When they put in a new liver, uh, suddenly the uh, nitric oxide is low, and the lungs suddenly begin working more efficiently, uh, the, uh, demonstrating that the liver is poisoning the lungs yeah. uh, so that the oxygen doesn't get through efficiently. And with the brain, the same thing is happening. Edema uh, is produced in the brain by uh, the endotoxin-nitric oxide combination. And uh, the um, ammonia uh, produced uh, by the liver, which is uh, being injured, uh, was the traditional uh, explanation for why the brain uh, has problems in proportion to the liver. Okay. But um, now it's known that the ammonia 
is activating the um, nerves that are excited by the uh, glutamic acid, uh, uh, MSG, excitatory amino acids. Uh, and those excitatory amino acids act largely through nitric oxide. And, and so uh, depression, anxiety, uh, and I, I assume aggression is uh, uh, part of this mixture of uh, uh, gradual poisoning to different mm. degrees. Interesting. Do you know if there's any? Uh, do, do you know if there's any blood test uh, for nitric oxide, like there is for cholesterol, or you know, uh, any other most other compounds that are fairly common? Have you heard of that? Um, I don't know uh, no. what labs have available. Uh, it's uh, becoming very common in research to uh, look at the, the whole range of things produced by nitric oxide, but yeah. I, I don't know of any. Uh, local medical labs that that do that okay all right well i had another question it's a little bit different from all of the others but uh nonetheless um in terms of um well-being uh, emotional well-being uh being restorative and uh, a kind of dynamic uh process uh that is going to uh improve the general health of an organism uh, when their mind's in that place of emotionally being uh, satisfied, happy, having a positive outlook, uh, in a positive thinking, etc. Um, exercise, I know, I and mean, having you know, in my in my younger younger days, I sound like an old person now, but in my younger days when I used to go to the gym, um, I remember feeling really very positive about it. And I'm looking back at it now, it's probably because I was probably running on a lot of adrenaline uh, from working out and. Uh, just charging around like a crazy person but um in terms of uh exercise i know that you always advocate gentle weight-bearing exercise uh, you don't advocate any aerobic exercise uh, in terms of um generating a uh, healthy physique with exercise what would you suggest rather than you know protein shakes and amino acids and supplements what would you suggest as being uh, one of the some of the best food sources and perhaps uh, maybe you've mentioned uh, gelatin. I don't know if you think that gelatin is a good thing because of the amino acids, or and what would you suggest? Um, it, yeah, gelatin is at, at least safe. Uh, it doesn't <laughs> stimulate muscle growth the way uh, other proteins, such as meat, uh, can do. But uh, the the person's history really is, is has to be taken into account when you're uh, looking at the the diet and the exercise program. Uh, because uh, I've known people who ate gigantic amounts of meat and were producing so much cortisol <laughs> in response to the meat right. that uh, they had uh, extremely high levels of amino acids in their urine and their muscles were uh, being damaged by that same uh, high level of cortisol. Huh. Uh, and so uh, ideally, uh, in like the germ-free animals, uh, they can run on uh, very little protein and lots of um, carbohydrate. Uh, the carbohydrate uh, gets used for energy, and uh, you would uh, assimilate essentially all of the protein that you eat hmm. because your cortisol wouldn't be uh, destroying it and excreting it. Interesting. Uh, so 
Well, what kind of carbohydrates? They wouldn't be starchy and dangerous. Uh, fruit. Fruits, yeah. Yeah. All right, so that's it, pretty much then. You're saying that the fruit would be a, a very good source of uh, amino acids as uh, muscle-building compounds. Um, yeah, as long as you're getting uh, all of the essential nutrients, for example, from some seafoods and eggs, uh, right. then uh, uh, fruits uh, uh, and uh, gelatin yeah. would be a very safe uh, diet for adults. Okay, very good. Well, I know we've got four minutes left. That's probably not too long uh, to go too much further without um, having 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 trouble with the engineer and the next person on the show. So I do thank you for your time, Dr. Pete, once once more. And okay. uh, let me give out your information to people who've listened. Okay, thank you. Thanks so much. Okay, so Dr. Raymond Pete uh, is view- viewable, uh, if that's the right word, on the web, um, www.raypete.com dot com r a y p e a t dot com uh, has a, a wealth of articles uh, in, on links at, on the homepage, uh, all of which are fully referenced. They're very scholarly articles. Some people might find them a little um, hard reading because they're pretty technical, um, but there's a lot of information in there that if you want to start delving into some of it, I know on the web you can find out uh, quite a bit about what he's saying in terms of the descriptive terms that it might be used. But very good articles, uh, like I said, well well referenced and uh, well researched. That's that's his job, and that's what he's spent the last 25, 30 years doing. Um, so www.raypeat.com uh, for people who'd want to contact me. Uh, Monday through Friday, I have a toll-free number, one eight 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 wbm herb um, Let's see what else we've got. A couple of minutes here. I don't think I'll just close the show by thanking you for your time. Uh, and until February, the third Friday in February of next month, I uh, wish you a happy new year again. Good night. everybody that was ask the herb doctor great show all right a couple things gonna throw your way here came up thanks jessica baker of jade dragon acupuncture for her support of redwood community radio practicing and teaching chinese medicine herbalism aromatherapy and aromatherapy jessica is available for conferences workshops and private consultations located at 607 f street and that's in Arcata. Jade Dragon Acupuncture can be reached at 822-4300 or online at jadedragonacupuncture.com. 
Also, support for K-Mud comes from the Inn of the Lost Coast in Shelter Cove. Fireplace, spa, and sauna suites overlooking the ocean offer views of the migrating California gray whales. Fish Tank Espresso and Delgada Pizza and Bakery are open daily. Inn of the Lost Coast, home of the Yellow Submarine, where all you need is love and a reservation. For more 